Well, I, I've had about enough of your emails and calls this week about my lack of swaying last week during that song during the Christmas cantata. Let me just report to you as somebody who's very much introverted, I moved at least two inches to the right and to the left on my swaying, which meant I was having Pentecostal revival. The fire of God had fallen on me to give you two in Okay. Thank you for all your calls and emails uh, this week. We've been making a journey through this season. Uh, we journeyed first to Nazareth about, about the angels speaking to Mary about how God would honor her, that she was highly favored, that she would carry the Christ child. And then two weeks ago, we journeyed to, to Bethlehem. What, what can we learn from that city and from, from that time? And today we're going to make two more journeys. One's right before uh, right at the birth, and then the, the other, uh, right before the birth, and then the, the other journey is just a few days after. But let's go back to that first passage in Luke's gospel that Linda read for us. What, what's there for us to learn about Mary and Joseph and their faithfulness? But also, what are in these journeys that, that we can see more of God's faithfulness, but also of our response to his faithfulness. So going back now to Luke 1, 39 through 45. This is Mary's first journey. Right after hearing this word from, from, from Gabriel, right after this word from the angel, this is her first journey that she makes to, to these hills. Now you think about that. And I know we've talked about Mary about five, four or five years ago. We talked about her story. But here she is, as we believe, a young teenage kid from a very rural place um, and we know through Matthew's gospel her marriage is at risk young teenage kid your betrothed is thinking about how do I put her away nicely but then if you know anything of the culture of that time it's not just her betrothed she's got to worry about it's her own family it's all of her friends. It's her local synagogue. And yes, maybe even her very life. But she still said yes. Let it be done to me. And so, after hearing that news then, with all those unsettling words coming to her, what does she do? What would you do? What do we typically do? She runs. She runs, and we've all done that. When you get scared or you get in trouble, you run. I shared this during our YouTube 40-day uh, uh, devotional series this past August, and I was talking with some people, I won't say who, uh, just this morning about my life growing up as a kid. Now let's remember what I share with you now was before I knew Jesus. But this was just my life, living for myself and living with friends that I should have not hung out with, but just this is just one slice, one day in the life of just going to the Metro Center as a young 12-year-old kid and running a lot. Yes, we went to the back hallways where you're not supposed to go, and we knocked on all the doors, and we ran through that entire center doing that. We saw a man asleep in his car, 
And so we got these little tiny rocks and we were throwing them at his window, hoping he would wake up. Well, when the window broke, we ran. Yeah, it gets worse. And then my friend thought it would be cute because he had a little cap gun to go to a jewelry store there and say, everybody's hands up and fired the cap gun. And then we ran from that. Oh, let's keep going. And then late same day, within the hour, we went up to the third floor at Metro Center and began to throw ice at people. And we hit some high school boys. Now, those high school boys ran up the steps. And as soon as they ran up those three floors of steps to come get us, my two friends, I'll give their names, Tim and Jeff, they ran to the elevator and started frantically hitting the button. My friend Robbie and I, we went and sat down at some tables they had up there and acted just like we were innocent as babes. And so when those high school boys came to kill us, we immediately went Benedict Arnold. Oh no, it was those guys over there. So as soon as they leave us, we sprint down the stairs. And I was told by my friend Tim later, the doors opened, they got inside, hit doors closed, and the doors closed just as the other guys got there. And we ran out of the metro and lived to tell that tale. That's what we do. You get in trouble, you get scared, and you run. Now listen, I'm 53. I don't run anywhere anymore. I I might briskly walk. (laughs) But I'm tempted to run when there's anxiety when there's confrontation, we got a whole lot of people in Scripture from Jonah to Peter who run from what God's called them to do. And maybe you've done that. And maybe this is a season to come home from that. Or maybe in your hurt or confusion, you've run to wrong people or to wrong places. And it's time to come home from that. I love how Mary gets it right. Yes, I'm going to run, but I'm going to run to where I know I'm going to get godly counsel and I'm going to get the encouragement that I need. She runs to Elizabeth. And I love in verse 43 what Elizabeth says to her. Why in the world? How is it that I get the privilege of having the mother of our Lord come to me? I wonder if Mary fretted over what Elizabeth might say. But yet, this is the way too, and this is another sermon, where God can use our lives, our hurts, even our pain and suffering. Here is somebody who knows what Mary's going through. Here's another person with a miraculous birth. And so Mary can go to her. Will you be available in those places where you've been hurt or struggled and allow people to be encouraged by your words? That's what happens here. She opens her life to Mary. I've said it before, and I know I'm a broken record, but there is a loneliness epidemic in our culture. And what a great ministry of the church to open our doors, to open our living rooms, to open our schedules, to give people encouragement. Anybody been late in a pregnancy? Anybody been older and late in a pregnancy, and you want to open your home, not just for a day, how long does she stay? What does Scripture say? Months. That I'm going to let you stay with me in my feeling terrible all the time? Yes. Yes. Opening our homes and our schedules to those who are in need. 
I was blessed to be able to go to our CR Celebrate Recovery ministry uh, this past week and, and offer communion there. I think in 2021, we're sadly going to break 100,000 people, is what I saw on Twitter this week, 100,000 people who've overdosed just in this year. Um, and yet we, we, and so our church has said a few years ago, we want to have a ministry where our doors are open. Most of the people who come to Celebrate Recovery, you heard Roger say it a few weeks ago, it's due to relational things. It's due to emotional things. It's a place of support where we, we, we find God in our worship and in support groups together. But several people come who are struggling uh, with addiction. Over the last 18 months, we've lost two of those persons uh, to overdoses who've come to our CR. It's been a heartbreaking season. And yet our volunteers are gutting it out. They're showing up every Tuesday night to be present for people in real struggle. I love how our church in so many different ways has said we're going to open our doors to people who need Jesus, to people who need our time, to people who need us to break our schedules and to give folks the warmth and the love of Jesus Christ. And here's my question too. It's interesting to me as you go and you follow later in this passage, verses 46 through 55, it's what we call the Magnificat. It's where Mary, we believe, not only says, but maybe, maybe even breaks out into song. My soul magnifies the Lord, and I rejoice in God my Savior. That whole beautiful testimony of Mary. When in Scripture does she say that? It's interesting to me. It's not after the news from the angel of God. It's after Elizabeth. It's after a flesh and blood person that, that holds on to her and speaks encouragement into her life. My soul proclaims the glory of God. That's when it breaks out in her. When somebody walks alongside her and gifts her encouragement. And I don't know what encouragement, and this is the hard part of it, y'all, in our culture and day, I don't know who's investing in you. And it's, it's important for us to be intentional and to find that, because sadly, it's not as freely given as it used to be. I don't know who is investing in Elizabeth, but I love that Elizabeth could say, yes, you can interrupt what's going on. Yes, you're of value to me. And because of that, we get this word of praise from Mary. It's the same thing that happens in the life of David because of Jonathan. That happens in the life of Ruth because of Naomi. It's the same thing you see and it's modeled beautifully for us by God himself. Jesus is about to step out into not just ministry, which is messy, but literally spiritual warfare. But it's just like God at his baptism to say, this is my son. And then the same thing, as Jesus makes, or as Luke says, sets his face to Jerusalem, he's now turning south and making a beeline to give himself away, uh, give himself away for us on the cross. He's going and marching to his death. As soon as he's about to make that turn, he's transfigured. And what does God say again? This is my son. It's just like the Lord to offer a word of encouragement when it's needed. And how important it is for you and I to do that work and to be free to 
offer that, to be intentional, to be looking for how can I offer it. It's through people. That's how God works. We look back to the early Methodists, and I was surprised to hear this, but it makes perfect sense. John Wesley, through his preaching of all the hundreds and thousands of people who came to Jesus Christ through his preaching, it was only 25% of the people. Only 25% of those saved during the earliest uh, movements of the Methodist Church were saved by John Wesley's preaching. Where did it all happen? Where did 75% of it happen? Small groups. It's through people. Just people saying, let me pray for you. People saying, how was it with your soul? People walking with people. Mary runs to Elizabeth. She journeys to the hills of Judah when her struggles come, and Elizabeth is there and makes room for her. I read a devotional this week by Max Lucado. That's one of the saddest words in all of Scripture, even though it's, it's just said as a, as, a, as a passing statement. We've got no room for Jesus. They had no room for Jesus at his birth. They had no room for Jesus in his public ministry. He's got nowhere he can put his head down. And then eventually the world says to Jesus, we've just got no room for you. You've got to go. What a great work of the people of God to say we're making room. And I know it's a frenetic pace we live in. I know we've got immediate family and work requirements and so much in our community. But Mary ran to an encourager. Could you be that for someone? Then there's a second journey quickly. A second journey if you'll turn to Luke 2, 21 through 24. And this, is a, this was a required journey. This is a journey you've got to make according to the law of God. And Mary and Joseph were faithful to make it. Mary had to wait until the days of her purification were done before she could go up to the holy city of God. And she did that. For Jesus, he had to be circumcised beforehand. The gospel reports that had happened. The name had to be given as well. And then you would go to Jerusalem to be presented. The firstborn male and a sacrifice would have to be made. And Mary and Joseph faithfully, obediently do that. And that's always got to be a part of our response to Advent and to Christmas. The warmth of this season always has to be translated into holiness with before God and with others. Now you think again about their, their lives. They've pretty much, we understand, have been cast out. They're alone for her birth, and yet they're faithful to do whatever God's called them to do through his word. Think of the nervousness. I mean, I think about how nervous I was with our first child, right? We read all the books. You're so nervous. Uh, I can't imagine being gifted a child who is virgin born, and there's really nobody, nobody around you. We don't get any report of that. There would have, should have been family and friends there. There even should have been, now I would not have wanted this, there should have even been a choir that comes by and sing to you. Mom, would you have wanted that? Right after hours of labor, hey, and here's the choir. <laughs> Lori, you might want to think about that ministry. Uh, it really was a silent night. Because there's, as we can tell in Scripture, nobody. But they still are faithful 
to cross every I and dot every T. It's interesting, too, when you think about Joseph on that. The one thing he gets to do is he has the right to name the child, just like Zacharias or Zachariah, depending on your translation. That's his right to do. And so I'm going to name this child, he was told in a dream by the angel, you're going to name him Jesus. Now listen, I'm, it's, it's probably a good thing that men no longer have sole responsibility for names, right? I was reading on the internet this week, there was a poor child named by his father, Burger. Named after a hamburger, right? Another child named by his dad, Satan. How about that one? That's a real name. And there's several other names I read, but I'm scared to death that some of your children or grandchildren are named those, so I don't want to get calls and emails uh, this week. But sometimes, men, we don't think through things. I'm reminded of one of my good friends, a Methodist pastor, who's pastored in this area, so I won't say his name, but it was his first time to ever lead a service all by himself, and the psalm had been chosen, so Psalm uh, he was to read that hopefully earlier in the week, Psalm 137, but he hadn't, and so in the responsive scripture, he went ahead and read the last line in worship. And you remember that last line of Psalm 137. It's hard to read this out because you need to know the context of it. I'll have lunch with you and we'll talk about it. Blessed is the one who grabs your little children and smashes them against a rock. He read that in public. That was the last line that, that he read before everybody, but it's worse than that. As soon as he read it, you know what he said next? All right, it's time now for the children's sermon. If they could all come forward. <laughs> So maybe it's best. Joseph gives up that right. That is his right. I bet he's been thinking about that. I'll give it up. Whatever you say. They're low on funds. We know it by the sacrifice they give. They give a required sacrifice, but it's the lowest you can give. We know they fully love God, so we're assuming they're poor. Come on, I'm highly, I'm highly favored. I don't need to go up there to Jerusalem for this. We know this is God's son. Mary knows it, and definitely I know it. We can slide. No. There's no hint of disobedience in their life. But sadly, what can happen sometimes with us, I'm saved. I know I'm loved, so it really doesn't matter what I do. He'll forgive me for that. Hey, as long as I'm batting 600, 700, I'm good. And sadly, y'all, admit it, a lot of your friends will let you settle for less. They'll let you settle. But Joseph and Mary, alone, poor, probably scared out of their minds, they dot every I and cross every T. A great model for us about obedience, about holiness, that when we have received the Christ child, the only response is whatever you say, whenever you say. And then lastly, just a reminder to us as a church, but also to us who parent our own kids or aunts and uncles to, to our children, it's a great reminder too here 
that they're faithful to get their son to Jerusalem for that spiritual requirement. It's a great reminder to us of our call as a church to make disciples, to build faithful disciples, to remind us as families that we exist to raise children up in the faith. I, I remember when Joseph, our oldest uh, boy was born. I just remember holding him just so proud and so ecstatic. He's, you know, here's my child. But coming to realize later, as I grew in my faith, yes, it's a gift of my child, but he's not really mine. He's a gift of God. But my job ultimately as a father, our job ultimately as a church, is to get our kids back to Jerusalem. To get our kids to where the, the presence, the very presence of God was. One thing I love about our kids' ministry. Renee has it that if we'll be faithful to be here, Renee has it where we cycle through the Bible three times. From early childhood through, I think, fifth grade. You will have gone through the Bible three times. And if you, if you want resources for how to do, whether it's family devotionals or how, what kind of Bibles are appropriate for your children or how to talk about your faith, Renee and Corey and I and Ben and Linda, we'd love to talk with you about that. I was a real struggle when Sarah and I were first married. How do I, how do I even lead a devotional? How do I even talk about Jesus? It, it wasn't, I had a wonderful Christian family, but it just wasn't modeled. I had to learn that. That's our call to raise people up. And I heard a story as we closed just, the, just yesterday of my father-in-law. And you've heard me talk a lot about Dr. Joe, a man who was faithful in his pastorate to preach the gospel in a season where it was hard to preach the gospel on some things, a man who went to Brazil and risked uh, to share the gospel as a missionary for a long season, and then in retirement to teach 30 years at Bellhaven College. I can't even begin to count the amount of lives impacted by his, by his ministry. He'll tell you, and I've told you before about his testimony, he, like me, didn't come to faith until late in his teenage years. But what he just shared with my wife just the other day was this. I remember my grandmother's prayers, right? He was three years old. She died when he was three but he still remembers. That's his memory of my grandmother praying over me or praying with me. That's the call in our lives, to get our kids together as church. So we're going to volunteer at VBS and Sunday school. We're going to pray for our church. We're going to give to our church. We're going to volunteer for our church because we're going to build up faithful disciples. But in our homes, we're going to continue to grow as grandparents or parents. How is it we can raise our kids up? Mary and Joseph were so faithful. We're going to get Christ to Jerusalem. How is it you and I need to respond to this word uh, today? How is it you and I, even in our frenetic pace, can make sure our doors are always open to people who need encouragement? How is it you and I need to recommit ourselves because we have been blessed with Jesus? I'm going to live a life of, of faithful obedience. How is it you and I can invest in our church family and our own families to get our kids to the Lord? Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for this, your word, what it says to us about your goodness in sending Christ for us, but also in our response. And that's our prayer. Holy Spirit, would you lead us and bless us now in our response to this, your word. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.